0: So I haven't seen you at the Women's Bible Study this fall. It's been great. Where you been? Taking
1: a break. I'm trying something new. You mean like a different Bible study? Not exactly. This may sound crazy, but I've been getting together with a group of women in my neighborhood.
0: So do you live near a lot of women from church?
1: Not that I know of, but I've been getting to know some of my neighbors better, and I just want to kind of grow some of these relationships instead of just waving hi when I get in the car in the morning, you know? That sounds good, but what does that look like? Right, I don't totally know. We have been getting together and we realize that there are some issues that we all really care about, like especially uh, education for women and girls. Sheila, my neighbor, she is really passionate about schools in the developing world. And this other woman is on the town education board. And you know, I went to Kenya a couple years ago on that mission trip to the orphanage for girls. And I don't know, I don't know. We meet again on Friday. But but what does your group do? I don't know yet, and I guess that that's the crazy part, but I just, I really wanna share God's love with these women and I know that the things that they're passionate about are closer to his heart than they may realize.
0: Yes, but if you want to share your faith, why not invite them to the Bible study? The church already does, or or to the woman's event that's coming up next month.
1: I don't think they would come.
0: Sunday service. Too
1: intimidating.
0: Oh, Friday night worship sing. No.
1: Christmas Eve? Look, okay, okay, fine. I'm not saying that I'm not gonna invite them to any of those things. I just feel like God is leading me towards this particular issue. And I'm really hoping that, you know, he has something in mind, and, and it's something that's bigger than all of us. I don't know, maybe my neighbors will meet Jesus along the way, but I don't understand why you
0: can't come to Bible study. That's on Thursday, and your neighbor thing is on Friday.
1: This kid's schedule and work, that's not really it. Honestly, I, I want to make myself available to this new thing, and actually, I was wondering if you might join me.
0: Me? hmm Um, no, I don't think I'd be very good at that.
1: <laughs> what are you talking about? All you would have to do is come and hang out. And you already know some of my neighbors. Marissa, who lives next door. I, I, I can't. I'm already committed
0: to the Bible study. I, I volunteer for the, for the um, missions committee and kids' church.
1: Exactly. This would be something that's different for you, too. I promise I'm not going to make you wear a name tag with the word church friend written on it.
0: But I like all the opportunities our church provides for for me to grow and and serve. And I want to strengthen my faith. There's nothing wrong with that, is there? No, I never said that. I invite my neighbors and my friends to church once in a while, but education, politics, I, I, I don't know. That seems to be way over my head and... Do you really think that's something that will lead these women to the Lord? I don't know.
1: Honestly, it's over my head too. But I want to see the gospel change things in the real world, and I want my neighbors to see that too. I'm nervous, (laughs) but I think it's the right kind of nervous.
2: Ever have a conversation like that? Here we have two Christians discussing with each other how they're going to spend their time, how they're going to spend their energy, how they're going to connect with their Christian friends and also with their non-Christian friends. I mean, the reality is that you only have so much time and energy and bandwidth. Uh, what do you do? How, how do you responsibly spend and steward your time this also brings up the often mentioned conversation of like the, the bubble. We're all living in some form of a bubble. We're probably living in quite a few bubbles, just kind of like inside all, all these other bubbles. And if you have like this, this confusing mental picture of bubble inside of bubble inside of bubble, perfect. That, that's kind of what I'm going for. And if you kind of picture yourself like on a hamster wheel, like running through the bubbles, and the other bubbles is kind of like, you know, just bouncing off of each other, perfect. I'm going for that too but I feel that that's what I'm living in and maybe you, maybe you can relate to that. I mean, we, we like our bubbles, the bubble. I mean, like it's, it, it feels condescending to say it like, of course, oh, the, the bubbles are terrible. I don't want to live in a bubble. But the reality is that we like our bubbles. They're safe. We know the people who are in these bubbles. We, we, we seek them out. The people inside them are, are friendly. They're, they're kind of a bit like us. We, we do things that we enjoy doing inside these bubbles together. Uh, there's not a lot of strange people in, inside the bubbles because we kind of select who, who we let in. There's our own traditions, our own way of doing things, our own jargon. There's safety in our bubbles. Life outside the bubble is another story. It's a lot more complicated. That's why we prefer to live inside the bubble at times. Life outside the bubble, there's a lot more that's unexpected. There's, there's new ideas and different types of ideas and challenging vernacular and language and different types of philosophies and all sorts of things. Inside the bubble, you're not the strange guy. Outside the bubble, you might be the oddball. Ever feel that way? Ever find yourself in a room full of people and you're like, oh, these aren't my people. Am I the, am I the weird one right now or Am I just in the wrong room? Right? I hope you're not asking that tonight. I would love to encourage you. You are in the right room. You are not the oddball. I promise. Okay. And and hopefully we can confront some of the bubble uh, that we find ourselves in. When you find yourself in one, consider this, Jesus did not seem interested in everyone being in a bubble. In fact, when he could, he would burst the bubbles. Why? Because bubbles are a hindrance to Jesus' mission. Okay? Bubbles are a hindrance to Jesus' mission. And we've, we've been talking all about missional living uh, this past year. Discovering our calling, fulfilling our go. W- what is it that we want to, how, how do we want to serve and engage the world? And tonight we're going to take a, a bit of a deeper look into that. And our text is, has become a, a, a favorite of mine over the years. Um, I pretty much like all the texts where Jesus yells at the Pharisees, okay? I, I just like those. Um, and, and the, you know, I used to like cheer that, cheer that on, like, yeah, get him, Jesus. Until recently, I, I kind of realized like, oh my goodness, every time I, I, I study this text, I, I realize, oh, Jesus might be yelling a little bit at me too. So if it's okay for every now and then, for us to be yelled at by Jesus. Uh, well, let's, let's, let's look at this passage with, you know, with, with a little bit of this whole thing, but also realize that some of this may be coming at us because we might be living a little bit in that bubble. All right? So the passage is out of Matthew chapter 12, and I'll read a little bit to, for, to you, and it'll be on our screens as well. It says, Going on from that place, you went on to their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there, Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? The Pharisees asked. He said to the Pharisees, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand." And so he stretched it out and it was completely restored. Just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Wow, there's a lot going on in this text. I mean, the Pharisees, I mean, just the most obvious thing, they are so self-righteous that they are just missing out on this person's need. Now, they may not have had the power to heal this man's hand, but they did have the power to show him mercy. They did have the power to show him inclusion. They did have the power to show him community. But instead... They objectified him, and he's the evidence that they use to try to get Jesus in trouble. Shame on them. The Pharisees missed out on Jesus on a whole number of fronts as well. They they, they were preoccupied with their power and with their status and their reality of being threatened by the lordship of Jesus because Jesus isn't what they were expecting. What they were expecting was somebody a lot more like them they were expecting somebody from inside their bubble. And here they tried to entrap Jesus with, of all things, healing. I mean, I, I, it still blows my mind that of all the things that they're going to pick on is a man being healed on the wrong day. But this is, this is, what, this is what they're doing. And they're angry. And here's a little bit more of the background of why earlier in chapter 12, Matthew tells us that the Pharisees are arguing with Jesus because his disciples were were picking grain in the fields to eat again on the Sabbath. So they've been, they've been, they know that Jesus, they they, they believe that Jesus doesn't care about the Sabbath and they, they bring this up to him and they say, Hey, you let your disciples like pick grain and eat on the Sabbath. And he tells them the story kind of, I think a little sarcastically. Earlier in, 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 the, in, in verse 3, haven't you read what David said, did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them, but only for the priests. Now that's a big deal on a number of reasons. They're seeing it as Jesus taking their scriptures and rubbing it in. Because they're saying, like, of course we know this story. David is our guy. And how dare you use this story against us? This is one of our stories. You're the outsider. Don't talk about our stories. That's, that's, that's one thing they were, they were feeling. And they're feeling that by bringing David into it, by bringing their hero into it, since, since most of you, I assume, were born and raised in New England, it's like somebody talking trash about Larry Bird. Okay? Larry Legend, you're, you're Larry Legend. I wasn't, I wasn't, I'm not really from New England, so I'm saying you're Larry Legend, but I don't have a problem with Larry Legend, Okay? But it would be like from somebody from like the West Coast talking about Larry Legend as if he was their Larry Legend. But he's our La- your La- Larry Legend, right? It's like that. So he's talking about David. And, and, and now they're getting a little, they're, they're, you can feel their blood pressure rising. And what's going on in that story that, that Jesus is referencing about David is that David is on the run from Saul, King Saul. And the reason that David is on the run is because Samuel the prophet has anointed him as the next king of Israel. And Saul, of course, wants to stay king. So what do you do? You get rid of the new guy, the, 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 the king elect, if you will. So David and his companions are on the run and they're like they're hiding out and after a while you get hungry. And so they go to the temple and at that time the temple was in the, city of, in the town of Shiloh. It had not yet been moved to Jerusalem and they sneak into the temple, the, the safest of all places they could go, but also one of the danger, more dangerous places too, if you think about it. And the priests give them the bread that's been consecrated. And, and, and why do they do this? Well, why, because God is a God of life, not a God of death. God is a God of life and he doesn't let his people starve over religious policies. And here Jesus is now equating himself to David. Oh, the true king. Oh, now they're getting even more mad. And when the Pharisees are, are, are feeling, you're calling us Saul? Saul is the bad guy in this story. Yes, he, Jesus, Jesus is saying, you are the ones who are hunting the true king. And you're playing the role perfectly. Oh, those were fighting words. And so they're angry. And that's why they're so quick to try to kill Jesus. Now, we can miss the point in, in a lot of ways, and, and the Pharisees were missing the point in a, lot of, in a lot of ways, too, because Jesus is healing on the Sabbath. And for some of us who, who, have not, who have not been raised in the Jewish tradition, the Sabbath feels like one of those extra credit things. Okay, the Sabbath feels like one of those things like, well, it's good to honor the Sabbath, but I mean, really, we only have seven days to get everything done, so I mean, like, maybe we can just slow down a little bit on the Sabbath. But for the Jews, the Sabbath was a holy day, it was a commandment. It was a big deal. So you didn't do any work on the Sabbath. Tonight, if I were to say to you that there was going to be a gentleman in the parking lot fixing the deformities in people's cars without any tools or any replacement parts, you might think a few things. One, wow, that's strange. I've never been to a church that had that before. And, and two, you, it'll sink in for a second like, wait, this, this guy in the parking lot after service can just fix anything? On, on the car, like he's going to take aluminum and like heal it. He's going to take fiberglass and make it whole again. That sounds like a wonderful thing, right? Very few of us are going to be thinking to ourselves, um, shouldn't he be doing that during normal auto body hours, like you know, Monday through Friday from like nine to five? I mean, imagine Jesus, the mechanic, taking his hand on a car's quarter panel that has been damaged by a guardrail, scraped up and torn and and discolored, and him just healing it, and it looks brand new, like from out of the factory. Imagine Jesus taking his hand over a broken windshield, and the the windshield was becoming uh, smooth and perfect again. Imagine Jesus saying on top of a hood of a car, come to me with your check engine lights on and I will give rebirth to your interiors and your exteriors, right? I mean that you, 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 you'd want to be friends with that guy, but the Pharisees, Oh, they're angry with him. They're angry with him. Imagine the actual Jesus though. And I, and I, I mean, you got to picture this. I mean, take healing somebody's disfigured hands a hand that can't hold tools, a hand that, that can't throw a ball, a hand that, that can't hold the another, the other hand of a, of a lover or a child, a a hand that finds it difficult to work. And, and, and maybe this person didn't have a, a sustainable income. And then imagine Jesus showing mercy on that guy, a guy who probably hasn't received a break in a really long time. And Jesus, praise for this for, for this man's hand and you're watching you maybe you're just sitting right next to the guy whose hand is being healed and and, and and you're looking and you see now that there's bone that is being restored and there's muscle that is being regenerated and the discoloration of the tissue is, is starting to look normal and healthy and you can see strength return to that hand. And you're thinking, Oh my goodness, praise God. I've never seen anything like this. Who, who would dare have a problem with this? This is amazing. I mean, this man holds up his hand in in astonishment and you're going to have to, he's just opening and closing his hands. He probably doesn't even understand what digital dexterity is. You're going to have to explain that to him. Now we've been desensitized by countless hours of, of television and special effects in movies but this is an amazing thing. And for normal people for like, like us, no one is going to say, wait, 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 this amazing thing can't happen today. Today is the Sabbath. You got to come back tomorrow for that, Jesus. No one would say that unless they had an ax to grind with a person who's doing the healing, which the Pharisees did. The Pharisees just wanted to entrap Jesus. And the, the man with the disfigured hand he was just part of the collateral damage. The Sabbath, again, we, we return to this idea. I mentioned earlier that it's the fifth commandment, and it is to be obeyed, and it is a, a law that was given to Moses and the nation of Israel, is not extra credit. It is a day of worship. It is a day of rest. It is a day to be recentered. And bless you for coming here on the Sabbath on an evening night to have your soul restored and recentered. And I pray that the Lord finds you here tonight. This is how we honor the Sabbath. And Jesus actually took the Sabbath seriously. That's why he was in the temple too. But Jesus wanted to say that there's there's even greater things that we can do on such a day. And we don't withhold goodness on such a day. There is a place for law and tradition, but there's something even more important, people, and mission are more important than law and tradition. The mission is people, and tradition is good, but tradition is to serve people, not overrule them. Tradition. I don't know if anybody kind of feels a little uncomfortable when we talk about tradition. It's like one of those boring words, tradition. I mean, you don't find a lot of people that just say, like, oh my goodness, tradition is my favorite thing. Sometimes you do, but like. Okay, I'm sorry. You find a lot of people that just love tradition. I, let me just rephrase that. I'm not really that traditional of a person, so, so maybe I projected a little bit too much there. But Merriam-Webster defines tradition as this, the handing down of information, beliefs, or customs from one generation to another. Traditions are good. They're helpful in improving the narrative, to, 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 in building the narrative to some degree. It's fashionable for some people to say that they hate tradition. It's obviously fashionable for some people to say they absolutely love it. And if you think about it, most of us, even those of us who don't consider ourselves to be traditional, we have certain traditions that we really like. We just might not call them traditions. Like most of us like receiving gifts and hugs and cake and social media attention on our birthdays. I mean, if nobody said a word to you on your birthday or gave you anything on your birthday, you'd feel a little violated by that. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. Why? Because there's this whole tradition of receiving this type of attention for you. Our kids like dressing up like their favorite characters on the last day of October because they're going to get candy and chocolate, And parents like it, too, because they get some candy and they get some chocolate, right? Turkey. Fireworks, pine trees in the middle of our living rooms, which is an odd tradition. They are filled with, we are all, our lives are filled with cultural traditions. Families and sports teams and communities, they have their own unique traditions from villages to cities. To anywhere in the world, there are traditions. Religion has a lot of tradition too, churches have tradition. Many of them are wonderful and they have a place. And every now and then we might find a few that may need to be rethought, reframed, or maybe even dropped altogether. I I have a love-hate relationship with traditions. I don't want to be bound by them. And I don't want to lose something that is more important than the tradition. But there are certain traditions that I do like. For instance, last week, uh, I, I, I love singing the doxology. And last week we sang the doxology here at GC at night. And uh, I, I didn't ask Josh to lead that. So like I like it when it just happens kind of like without my, my engineering or my influence of that. So I was sitting right over here listening to, uh, singing along with the doxology. And I like the doxology for its poetry. I like its simplicity. I like the fact that for centuries, Christians have been singing these words. And on a, on a night in 2017, I get to join that chorus too. And I like expressing that gratitude to God in that way. I like that. I feel part of a tradition. But I don't want to sing it every week because I, I, I'm afraid that I, it will lose its, its special and unique power that, that I like to be a part of. It's okay if you disagree with that. Maybe you want to sing that every week. And I encourage you to sing it every day if you want. I mean, like, that—that—that—that that, that, that is. make your own traditions. But I like certain traditions. I just don't want to be bound by them. They have a place. There's balance that's needed. So we have traditions, but we also have tribes. And here's, here's the definition of the tribe, of tribe that I want to use tonight from, from Seth Godin on his, uh, from his book, Tribes. A tribe is a group of people connected to one another, connected to a leader, and connected to an idea. And for millions of years, human beings have been, have been part of one tribe or another. A group needs only two things to be a tribe, a shared interest and a way to communicate. Tribes. You and I are a part of quite a few tribes. You're, you're probably not just part of one. Uh, if you have any trouble figuring out what tribes you're a part of, uh, check the number of groups that you are a part of on Facebook. Okay? Like there's a whole list of tribes that that you have some affinity with. Many of us here belong to the American tribe. Many of us here belong to the tribe of the New Englanders, or as I would refer to myself as a Northeasterner. Some of you are part of the Patriots tribe who who are hoping that this message finishes before kickoff at 8 o'clock. I promise you it will. Red Sox nation, Yankees empire, tribes, tribes, tribes. There's all sorts of tribes that, that involve the way that we work, the way that we recreate and play our interests, our ideology. Again, we're part of a number of different tribes and that's consistent with the way that our pluralistic culture works these days. It's, it's part of modern life to be a part of many tribes because we've, we've just been given access to so much. And we have different forms of loyalty to each of the tribes. And part of that loyalty is based on our attachment to each one at a particular time. And that's part of our consumer culture. And that's a message for another time on consumer culture. But I hope I've convinced you that you are part of a few tribes. Well, here's where we get back to the text. The Pharisees are a tribe. And that tribe is more important than anything else in their minds. At least that's, that's that's how they're playing it out. The Pharisees have a tribe and they have their own set of traditions. And I feel that the Pharisees are a bit misunderstood at times. When we, when we read about them in the Bible, we know that instantly that they're the bad guys. If Jesus is the good guy and he's against them, then they're the bad guys. But if, if you want to understand the historical context of the Pharisees, the Pharisees were, up until Jesus' point, you, we would probably would have regarded them as, as a good bunch of people. They were kind of like the lay community of of the Jewish faith of that time. Normal, middle class to upper middle class types of people. They were community leaders. They they were pretty strong with their moral integrity. They had not sold their souls out to Rome. And there was like different tribes, uh, sorry, different types of Pharisees. There was like the regular Pharisees. There was like these, these guys called the Sadducees. The Sadducees were like, they were like elites, and they were powerful, and they were super wealthy, and they were sort of like okay with Rome, because uh, they didn't want to get beat up by, by, by the Roman soldiers, uh, so they, they would make a series of compromises. They were the Sadducees. So the Pharisees felt that they were more legit than the Sadducees, you understand? Uh, and then they were like the Essenes. The Essenes were like these crazy types of, types of Pharisee types of people, and they, they were like John the Baptist, and they lived out in the wilderness. Uh, they... they you know, they ate locusts and, and, and all, uh, wore, you know, d- wore different strange things. And they were just kind of like outdoorsy people. But before like being like outdoorsy, wearing flannel, having a beard was cool, there you know, were the, this thing called the Essenes, okay? Like, like the, that, that's what that was. And then there were like the Herodians. And I know this is like a little bit of history, but it all kind of comes together. The Herodians were the people who, they were also, you know, they were Jewish religious soul, uh, people but they were like really connected to the Roman government. They were the ultimate of the sellouts. They they sold out so much that they were were Jewish, but they really wanted to be on Rome's good side. And so the average Jewish citizen hated the Herodians, didn't really like the Sadducees, thought the Essenes were weird, but the Pharisees, they were okay. They got me. They 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 were trying to help us out. Those were the Pharisees. And so when Jesus comes along and Jesus and the Pharisees are feuding and the people are like, well, I'm sorry, Pharisees, but we really like Jesus more. Did you hear what they did, what he did with my uncle? He fixed my uncle's broken hand in the middle of the church service. That's amazing. Why would anybody have a problem with that? The Pharisees were the good guys, but they were on the wrong side of of, of Jesus. Does that make sense? You're tracking with me so far? So I I would love for, for you to see a few things about the Pharisees they weren't that different from you and me. 2,000 years ago, if we were living in Israel, we may have been one of the Pharisees. If we, were the, if we just missed how, how great and how special and how unique Jesus was, we may, we may have been on the wrong side of this. Praise God for opening our eyes that, 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 we, that we see it this way, but we may have been on the wrong side of that. So when Jesus heals a man with his disfigured hand on the Sabbath, he's saying a few things to the Pharisees. He's saying there's something more important than tribe and tradition. People are more important than tribe and tradition. You're missing the people Pharisees. You're missing the mission. People are the mission. It's not me versus you. It's you and me. It's not that guy and us. It's all of us. We're all God's children. We have to stop seeing it even in our own context as us versus them, as, as whatever labels that we've attached to it today, as conservative versus progressive, as red versus blue, as this person versus this person. No, no, no. We, we, ha- we, have, to, we have to stop the us versus them mentality. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying this, if, if, I, could, if I could give you a main point to, it, to the message tonight. In the Father's kingdom we're all part of the same tribe, the same tradition, and our mission is people. In the Father's kingdom, we're all part of the same tribe, the same tradition, and our mission is people. So when Jesus heals the the man with the disfigured hand, he's showing that the Pharisees, not only this incredible miracle, but he's also showing the Pharisees that their mission is also disfigured. Their mission is also disfigured. In fact, it's so disfigured that uh, Mark has a version of the story in chapter 3. After he heals the man... The, uh, the, the Pharisees, they leave with the Herodians to plot a way to kill Jesus. They hate the Herodians. I mean, this is like the Yankees and the Red Sox plotting how they're going to take on the NFL, right? There's supposed to be like this historic, bitter rivalry. And here they are like, hey, I don't know. Let's compare notes. Let's go out to eat and talk about this. Because this, this NFL thing, is that's, that's what they're talking about with Jesus. They hate each other, but the one thing they have in common is their hate for Jesus. Now it's easy to talk about them, and that they've been around—they haven't been around in 2,000 years, type of a thing. Let's talk about ourselves. Let's talk about our disfigurement. What is disfigured in our lives? Is our sense of mission disfigured? Is our sense of mission disfigured? I mean, if Jesus were to come into our place of worship, if Jesus were to come into our lives, what, what would he do that would disturb us in such a way? I wonder. I mean, isn't this one of the problems with, like, religious churchgoers? I mean, isn't it sometimes a challenge to adopt a new direction or to embrace, a, a, the, you know, the real mission? I've been serving in ministry for 17 years, and I've been part of the church all my life. The answer is yes. yes. As, as churchgoers, we have a hard time adapting to the new mission, adapting to changes, adapting to the new thing. I'm sure many of you can relate to that. There's probably times when you thought, I wish we would do it a different way. And there's probably times when you thought, whoa, 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 let's not do that. Pastor Brian had this really great line uh, in, in his sermon this morning. He says, he's like, there are these seven famous The last, the last words of the church are, and are seven of them. He said something like, "We've never done it like this before. We've never done it like this before." Everyone in church has heard that at one time or another. Well, that sounds like a great idea, but we've never done it like this before. I mean, like, I mean, how many committees have said that over, over, over the years? It's hard to adapt. It's easier to stay the course. It's easier to, to circle the wagons. It's easier to do what we know. It's easier to honor the, the traditions of the tribe. It's easier to stay in the bubble. I mean, the bubble it's, it's not an exclusive problem just for us Christians. The bubble is safe for all people. Everybody, whether they're religious or whether they're a different religion or whether they subscribe to a different ideology, they like their bubble. That's why they live in it. Our issue with with it as Jesus followers is, is this. Jesus is saying the mission of the kingdom is greater than the tribe or tradition. The mission is people. Jesus wants to burst the bubble, and this is how you do it. And this is what the Pharisees, this is what we keep missing. The, the, we're all at a risk of missing something, and Jesus is saying, don't miss this. And I believe that's why it's recorded in Scripture like this, too. And now that we're talking a little bit about ourselves, it might make us feel a bit uncomfortable. I mean, what are we going to be asked to change next? And if I could, if I could be sympathetic to, to hopefully, what, what you're feeling and sometimes the feeling that I have, Sometimes I want to raise my hand and interrupt the, the announcement of the next change and say, hey, listen, I think this is a great thing, but like, we've already been through so many changes, I just need a breather, right? And it's usually the idea, like it's, it's a good idea, but it, I, I, I'm having a hard time loving it because it doesn't quite resonate with me exactly. And so I'm a little bit more resistant to it because it's going to require something a little bit more from me. And I believe what this passage is telling us is that if the mission is people, then we should love the new direction because it's going to help people. Maybe not you, but Jesus is all about the stranger. Jesus is all about the neighbor. Jesus is even about the enemy. And if this new thing is going to help the other, then you need to get on board. That's what Jesus is saying. So I want to challenge us a little bit tonight because we should know better by now. If you've been around the church for a while, we should know better by now. We know what it, what it feels like to be the person with a disfigured hand. Maybe not physically disfigured, but, but we have disfigurements in our lives. We've all been disfigured a little, and it's probably more in ways that are unseen, but we all can relate to feeling a little bit broken. We all can can relate to feeling a bit stained and in need of healing. And there's so much pain and there's so much division in our lives and, and, and throughout society. It ought to break your heart like it does Jesus' heart when when we realize that so many people have left the church because they have felt this us versus them dichotomy. They, 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 They feel a rejection from church. I bet there's people in this room at one time or another who have felt rejected from church. I know there's people in this room who have clawed their way back to church, and who have said, you know what, I'm not going back to that place, but I need Jesus. And so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna just take steps here. If that's you, bless you. Bless you for having that fortitude and that focus on Christ. But I also want to encourage you, if you find yourself in that moment to find community around you, I know it's risky, but there are some good people in this room, there are some good people in so many other churches and, and other campuses and 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 other places where they love and and honor Christ, where you can find community. I've had a share of bad experiences myself, but I would love to encourage you to find community. But bless you for holding on to Jesus. But my soul aches for all the people that have been chased away from church over the years. My soul aches for all the different types of division, because I know as the people who are committed to following Jesus, we can do better. I believe that. This week, maybe your heart was was broken like like mine uh, as you watched on social media the the Me Too campaign. And Me Too went viral across our social media platforms. And if if you're not on social media or if you haven't been paying attention to social media lately, it was a response to the Harvey Weinstein sexual abuse scandals where he as a movie producer would harass and force women into compromising situations to put it extremely delicately in, in, in mixed company here, and so one woman brought that to, to, to uh, uh, out into the open, and 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 then another woman said me too, and another person said yeah he did that to me too, and another person said that to me too, and then this campaign was launched about for all the women who have been catcalled or harassed, pressured, coerced forced, attacked, and more, and this Me Too campaign blew up over Twitter, and it was probably all over your Facebook if you saw it. Honestly, it's been one of the most courageous and heartbreaking things I've seen in a long time, because I know people. I know the people who are writing Me Too. I know there's people in this room, countless, an astonishing number, no doubt, who have a Me Too experience. It was devastating to to hear and read some of these stories. In addition to the harassment and the abuse, many would say, I didn't say anything because I knew people wouldn't believe me. And I I think I felt a pit in my stomach every time I read or heard that. And this included family and friends and employers and church leaders who, who they feared wouldn't believe them or didn't believe them. Oh. Sometimes they would even defend the abuser and and they they would sneak away because of the shame. I bring this up for many reasons. One is to acknowledge the terrible reality that includes so many women here and many women who are going to be listening to this message later. I'm so sorry. I am deeply sorry. I want to acknowledge that. And I want to say a lot more to that, but at first, the, the first thing to do is to acknowledge and to lament. And I spent most of this week just lamenting this reality. Two, I, I also, as, as a man, I want to call upon other men to, tr- to <laughs> there's so many things I want to say, and some of it has, has some emphatic language, so I'm just going to try to tone it down, because I can just feel my blood pressure rising. But read between the lines to get it together and treat our women with respect to treat women with not our to treat women with respect with love with dignity i also want to condemn and see those who harass and abuse be appropriately punished i really want to see that because we must seek justice for the victims my wife susan and i we've been talking about this you know throughout the week and we talk about a lot of things as it relates to, to the life of our children. We have, we have four children. We have two boys and two girls. And we, we, were, we, were, we, we thought we'd only have two kids total, but here we, here we are with four. Four it is. And like all parents, you know, we want what's best for our children. We want them to embrace their God-given calling their, their, their God-given identity and their, their God-given sense of mission. We want them to form good study habits, of course, and we want them to be well-rounded and we hope that they're surrounded by good people. And, and you're a parent. Many of you are parents, I should say. And, and many of you have, have come from wonderful, wonderful uh, homes and have great parents too, who wanted similar things. And we worry about our daughters. I mean, they're little now, but you know, you, as soon as you, you have kids, you start worrying about all sorts, of, all sorts of scenarios and things like that. And we talk a lot about our sons. Now that we have good sons, but we, we talk all the time, oh my goodness, we have to raise our sons to have an ability, to have, to have the tools, to have the mindset to truly respect women for a whole host of reasons. We believe in culture making. We believe that this makes a difference and we believe that God honors The ways that we try to to serve others, and that God magnifies and 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 does extraordinary things with extraordinary with ordinary people. And so we want to be part of that culture making and, and raising our family like this. And I'm sure we're not alone in this. I'm sure you do too. And probably you have your own set of language for that. I understand that I'm making simple statements in a very, very complicated and very loaded topic. And sometimes Preachers don't say these things because we're afraid of getting it wrong. And so I apologize if I have have said it inaccurately, but I I feel that we need to say something. God's heart breaks for things like this. I truly believe that. And if you have publicly or silently said me to know that you are loved by God, you are loved in this community, and that we stand in solidarity with you, But this passage, I I, I see so much of the me too in this passage. And I love this passage because, because we can be any one of the three people in this passage, we can be any one of the three people in this passage. We can be the Pharisees, which we've talked about. We can also be the disfigured person in all the different ways disfigurement comes, and we can also be Jesus in this passage. And like this, just blows me away in, in 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 my mind. Like like this, we can be Jesus. We can be the agents of healing in a world that is going through so much pain and hurts. Just by looking at this passage, Brian also mentioned it this this morning. Uh, something something that I had missed in my prep, but I wanted to highlight here. When when and, and Brian was using the Mark three passage, and, and it uh, describes this scene just a little bit differently. But when Jesus calls the man to, to stretch out his disfigured hand, if you, if you kind of paint this picture in your mind, Jesus doesn't get up and and touch his hand. In fact, Jesus doesn't even move a muscle. The man's hand is healed and Jesus didn't actually do any work on the Sabbath. God did the work on the Sabbath, right? God, the giver of the Sabbath broke his own rule and did the work on the Sabbath. God is the healer. And, and I know you might be thinking like, like, like the way that I think sometimes, oh, it sounds really wonderful to, to, to be like Jesus, but I don't have these miracle performing capabilities. I can't even fix things on my car, right? I mean, I, I can't do Like, no, 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 you're missing it. God's power working through you. And there's different forms of healing. Of course, it would be really great to walk through a hospital and just heal everybody's physical affirmity and fix everybody's physical pain. But we also have the power to, to, again, God magnifies this, but we have the power to to help people in their emotional pain, in their relational pain, in their spiritual pain. You can listen to somebody. You can show care to somebody. You can practice hospitality. You can go the extra mile. You can forgive somebody. And God blesses that and does extraordinary things and brings healing as a result of that to say it properly, we can't be Jesus, but we are called in scripture to be like Jesus. And again, God takes the disfigurement of the world and he invites redemption to it. And we get to be participants in that redemption. We get to join in that parade of hope and love and redemption. Because that's how big, that's how great God is. This is also, as we wind down tonight, this is what we hope to do with Q Commons on, on Thursday night. Again, the theme is healing our divided nation. And if this word healing resonates with you, I just want to encourage you just, just, just to get there. It's a small registration fee, and, and it's a Thursday night, and you'll probably be tired the next day because there's an after party that we're going to encourage you to come to as well, and it's going to be a lot of fun and, and all of that but we want to continue and and, and foster and nurture conversations about what healing throughout our society looks like. And Q isn't the only place for that tomorrow. You'll have an opportunity to be an agent of healing. Tomorrow you can show love and mercy to the person next to you, whether that be at work, whether that be a family member, whether that be, as you're driving down the road, whether that had in all different sorts of circumstances, you can be an, an agent of healing. I've been reflecting on this the last couple of weeks and, 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 and this idea of we can be all like one of three different people in this story. And we take our turns. I will admit sometimes I am self-righteous. Sometimes I'm aware of my disfigurement. But truly, truly, I want to be like Jesus in being an ambassador of this redemption, an ambassador of this hope. Friends, don't let the mission be disfigured. Don't let the mission, what you've been called to, don't let that mission be disfigured. This is the calling that God has placed on our lives. This is what the church can be. And I believe that this is what God invites us to. This is this idea of the divine invitation, this series that, that we've been working on. So friends, let us serve this world that is in great need of God's love. That is in great need of God's mercy. And that is in great need of God's hope. Let's do that. Would you pray with me? Our Lord God, we do come to you grateful for the power of your scriptures. And thank you for allowing us to see ourselves in this story. Help us, Lord, not to be self-righteous. Help us not to be prideful. Help us not to be overly committed to tribe and tradition. But help us to be committed to the mission of people. Help us to be committed to your mission. So remove whatever distraction and hindrance that that we have in our lives, Lord. We, We give that to you. And we pray, Lord, that you would empower us with your spirit Give us the words, give us the courage, give us the the commitment to action to do the things that need to be done in this world that is full of pain and full of disfigurement. We ask you of this tonight. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.